Charles Spurgeon himself once said, quote, There is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are, end quote. Such a great quote there from Spurgeon. You know, union with Christ is the center of our salvation. It's at the center of our sanctification and it's central to all of the deepest joys that we have in this life. And dozens of New Testament texts prove the dominance of this theme over and over again. So how can we get our head around all these texts and really feel this union as we ought? That's today's email. Hello, Pastor John. My name is Taylor a 21-year-old student at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Thank you for your teaching and preaching over the decades. My question is, what is union with Christ? The more I study and read, especially older theologians and church fathers, the more I see this concept spoken of, but it does not make sense to me yet. I don't hear a lot of pastors talking about it today even. Can you help me? What does it mean to be united to Christ, and what are a few of the most significant implications for my life? I think the most important thing I can do for Taylor is to give him confidence that he can answer this question for himself with his concordance in a way that will bring more assurance and more insight and more transforming power and more personal sweetness and more life application than if he read 10 books about the doctrine of union with Christ. Mm. So my strong suggestion to Taylor and everybody else is that if you must choose, and you don't have to, but let's just say you do, and I hope you don't, (laughs) if you must choose (laughs) between reading a book on union with Christ, and there are some great ones, or studying your Bible on union with Christ— then set aside time that you would have spent on that book and type into your search feature in your Bible program on your computer, type in Christ, little phrase, in Christ. Then, and you'll find, what, 89 uses or something like that. And then type in Jesus, and you'll only get a handful, like nine. And then type in the phrase, in him. Now, you're going to have to exclude a lot of those because those are going to not all refer to Christ, but Dozens of them will. And then type in the phrase, in whom? And, and then read them all over whatever days and weeks it takes, writing down all that you see about the nature of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be in him, what it means to be in Jesus Christ, and uh, its cause. How do you get in? Hmm. And its nature. Then what's it like to be in? And, and its effect. What produces, what what does it produce when you are in Christ? And I dare say that when you are done, you will have a better grasp on the glories of this biblical truth than if you read many books, even though, if you can, uh, read the books too, because you won't see everything you need to see. So let me just give you a taste of what you're going to find if you do that. And I'm I'm saving my definition, which he asked for, of union with Christ for the end in just a minute. Um, It hangs in great measure on what uh, the word in means in the phrase in Christ. And we would be totally unwarranted to think 
that the idea of being in Christ is used in the same sense in every case. For example, Paul says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, in Christ is like in Adam. So that's some kind of, hmm, what? (laughs) What kind of in is that? But is that the same meaning as the branch is in the vine in John 15? I doubt it. Mm -hmm. I doubt it. I think John has a different conceptuality of what he's talking about in the nature of the way the juices flow from the branch to the vine that is different from the covenantal idea that Paul had in mind within Adam in Christ. So the point is, there's not just one meaning of union with Christ. And I, let me just pause here or put in a parenthesis and say, I am so concerned that that, that uh, seminary students and just Bible students in general get a hold of a theological word or phrase like union with Christ, and they have this idea, okay, that's a reality. Now, I've got to go to the Bible and find what that reality is when, in fact, that that limits their understanding of reality because they've already packed it into one single conceptuality, when in fact there may be a half a dozen ways that union with Christ is conceived of in the Bible. So here's here's what you're going to see if you do this. And these are just tastes. Ephesians 1.4 says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So in Christ, in connection with Christ, God sees us before we existed in such a way that our election hangs on our being connected somehow with Jesus before we even exist. Ephesians 1.6 says that we have received grace in the Beloved. So, in Christ. So, the only way that grace flows to a sinner is somehow in our connection with, union with, relationship with, I'm leaving all that undefined right now, in Christ. Number uh, three, that's Ephesians 1, 7, says that we have redemption in Christ. So God's purchase of us from bondage to sin and Satan and death becomes real and effective for us in connection with Christ. Without this relationship, this connection, you could say union with Christ, we're lost. There's no redemption. Ephesians 1.13, in Christ we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Well, that one's interesting because now you have the Holy Spirit who's the active agent and he does this sealing in Christ. Whoa, that's worth a, an hour or two of reflection and prayer. The connection with Christ is what makes it possible for the Spirit to secure us forever. Philippians 3.9 says that the righteousness we need to stand before God, we have in connection with Christ, that we may be found in Him not having a righteousness of our own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Same thing in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Same thing in Romans 8.1. In Christ, there's no condemnation. So we only stand righteous and uncondemned before God because of our connection with Christ. We're in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 helps explain why that is. You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. In other words, in connection with Christ, we have righteousness that is not ours, but his. He became our righteousness. He became our wisdom. He became our redemption and sanctification, and it all happened in him. So three, three final observations. What's the cause? of this inness, this being in Christ Jesus. How did we get into this connection? And right there in 1 Corinthians one thirty, I left out a phrase. It says, from God are you in Christ Jesus. Because of God, by his agency. This happens by the new birth, and you can see that in 1 John 3.6 and 3.9, where abiding in Christ comes from being born of God. So one way to see the connection or the relation or the union being caused is by God's seed in new birth entering us so that now we have a new nature, a new seed, a new DNA from God. And in that sense, we are united with Christ. Here's the second closing observation. How do we experience this day by day? And Paul answers, by faith, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith. Buried with him, so you identify with him, and you die with him, and you rise with him through faith, Colossians 2.12. And if that's how we experience our initial identity with Christ, how do we go on living it? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's an amazing union that that virtually you say, not I, but Christ. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So if you say, what does it mean get up in the morning and experience union with Christ? It means you bank totally on him for the living of your life. And the last thing I would say is, in general, I would define union with Christ like this. It is the reality— of all the ways that the Bible pictures our human connectedness to Christ, in which he is indispensable for every good that we enjoy. No saving good, no eternal good, no God-exalting good, no soul-satisfying good comes to us except as we are connected to Christ. Yeah, that is so good. Amen. What a beautiful conclusion to the matter, Pastor John. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, thank you for the question, Taylor. And thank you for listening to the podcast over at our online home. You can explore about 1,300 of our past episodes, and you can scan a list of our most, most popular ones, read full transcripts of those episodes, and even send us a question of your own. Go to desiringguy.org forward slash John. Well, I think most of us would confirm that gender differences do play a specific role in defining how husbands and wives relate within a marriage covenant. 
But do these biological distinctions also give shape to our roles in society, even for those who are unmarried? That is the final question on the table for the week. It's a really good one. I'm your host, Tony Ranke, and we'll see you back here on Friday. Thanks for listening.